Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the World Shapers, conversations with science fiction and fantasy authors about the creative process. another episode of The World Shapers, the podcast where I talk to other science fiction and fantasy authors about their creative process. My name is Edward Willett. I am myself an author of science fiction and fantasy. My most recent novel is The Tangled Stars, a far future outer space humorous <laughs> space opera, um, which features a talking cat who becomes a starship captain. So yeah, you'll want to, you'll want to look that one up. Uh, you can find it in ebook and audiobook from Daw Books. It's my 12th novel for Daw Books, which is hard to believe, but there you go. And I have many other books out as well. And I'm also a publisher through Shadowpaw Press, and uh, that's shadowpawpress.com. And it also publishes some science fiction and fantasy. And among the things that it publishes are the anthologies that uh, feature authors who were guests on this podcast. Uh, I just successfully kickstarted Shapers of Worlds Volume 4. Uh, however, I am currently running a concurrent, or a supplementary, I guess is a better word, a supplementary crowdsourcing campaign to um, make sure that I can have all of the stories in this volume of the anthology illustrated by Alberta artist Wendy Nordell. That was a stretch goal that we didn't quite get to, uh, and so I'm trying to raise a little more money to make sure that that happens. And you can find that campaign at uh, Crowdfunder, C-R-O-W-D-F-U-N-D-R, no E, so Crowdfunder without the E at the end, slash Shapers of Worlds 4, numeral 4. And if you go there, there's uh, not as many uh, backers rewards as I had for the Kickstarter, but you can still get uh, copies of the anthology and various other things as a backers reward. Um, so please check that out at uh, crowdfunder, F-U-N-D-R, uh, slash Shapers of Worlds 4. Shapers of Worlds 4 will be out this fall. I've already started to get stories in the editing process and so forth. We'll be kicking in to high gear once uh, I... <laughs> get a couple of other things out of the way, like Sask Expo, which is coming up in Saskatoon um, this coming weekend. Uh, so if you're listening to this before that and you're in Saskatoon, please come by and find my table and you can buy books and get some autographed books even uh, from uh, Sask Expo. Uh, Shadowpaw Press publishes many other things and one bit, big bit of news that I'm happy to uh, announce is that uh, Shadowpaw Press has acquired the rights to two unpublished novels by Dave Duncan. I believe these are the last two novels left. Uh, Dave died uh, 2018, I believe. A great Canadian uh, writer, actually one of the first writers I met in the field many, many years ago, and uh, somebody that I would occasionally have a drink with at a, at a convention and always enjoyed talking to. Uh, Dave uh, had a couple of finished manuscripts that he uh, made arrangements to have uh, edited and uh, released after his death, and those have come to me. So I'm very happy to be to be bringing those out probably in early 2024. Uh, I'll provide way more news about that going forward. And the other great Shadowpaw Press news is that uh, 
Two of my books uh, that I published are, are shortlisted for Saskatchewan Book Awards, and that uh, ceremony is uh, this Thursday as I record this. You may be well listening to this after that. Um, it uh, includes a, a, a shortlist nomination for my young adult science fiction novel, Star Song, also published by Shadowpaw Press, as I said, uh, which was also a finalist for the Aurora Award, Canada's top uh, science fiction award last year. Uh, that's Star Song. And then a book that I published, Thickwood, which is a historical novel, because I publish many things that aren't science fiction fantasy, uh, is up for the best first book award. And the cool thing about that for me is that my first novel, Soul Worm, the first time I was uh, shortlisted for a Saskatchewan book award, was for the best, best first book award. And now I've published a novel which is shortlisted for the best first book award. So there's kind of a nice symmetry there. Okay, well, that's uh, that's enough about me. Uh, you can find out all about Shadowpaw Press, as I said, at shadowpawpress.com, and you can find out more about me at edwardwillett.com, should you want to. Two T's on Willett. And uh, you can also find the World Shapers online at theworldshapers.com, which may be how you found this podcast, which uh, features Brent Weeks. In a small-town Montana school at age 12, Brent Weeks met the two great loves of his life. Edgar Allan Poe introduced him to the power of literature to transcend time and death and loneliness. Fate introduced him to the girl, Christy Barnes. He began his pursuit of each immediately. The novel was a failure. The girl shot him down. Since then, skipping the boring parts, although hopefully we'll talk about some of those as we, <laughs> as we go forward, uh, Brent has written eight best-selling novels with the Night and Angel trilogy and the Lightbringer series, won several industry awards, and sold a few million books. Brent and his wife Christy live in Oregon with their two daughters. Yes, he did marry that girl. So, <laughs> Brent, welcome to the World Shapers. Well, th thank you for having me, Ed. I appreciate your, uh, your sharing your stage with me. You uh, probably wouldn't remember it, but we have chatted in person a couple of times. Uh, I believe I said hello to you at uh, World Fantasy in Calgary, I think. Were you there? Was that you? Mm, unlikely, unlikely. Uh, I, I may have some doppelgangers. Oh, uh, it wasn't so you. I, I okay. I was in Calgary. How about San Diego? Did I talk to you in San Diego at World Fantasy? Yes, yes. That, that would have been some time ago, but yeah, yeah. Out, outside uh, the bookstore, is it Change of Hobbit? Is that the bookstore in San Diego? Oh, um, uh, let's... There's some famous... Oh, wait, wait. What was was this the one where, where I did the uh, I did the signing with, with Sanderson and, and Rothfuss? The, yeah, was probably, the, probably. Was that that trip? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I just go where they tell me to go, and, and you know, I stumble around. Well, anyway, uh, we have met in person. Yes. Uh, although yeah. apparently not in Calgary. So who was that person that I talked to in Calgary? I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to have you on, and uh, we'll start at the at the very beginning, a very good place. Oh, actually, we do have one other thing in common. Uh, you uh, grew oh. up in Whitefish, Montana, and I've been to Whitefish, Montana, so there you go. Okay. Oh, nice. My, what, what brought you to Whitefish? My uh, sister-in-law's family, who are from Swift Current, I, I'm in Saskatchewan, uh, had a condo down there, and one shortly after we were married, we went down there, and my brother and his wife were doing real skiing and, you know, downhill skiing and snowboarding. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I went cross-country skiing and we enjoyed our stay in Whitefish very much and had, I have actually used this in a book since then, uh, local beer, Moose Drool. I <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good one. That's, that's pretty good beer. I actually uh, recently put it in one of my novels because I remembered that title, <laughs> that name. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a great name for a beer. You got, you got to hand it to those guys. Yeah, especially in Whitefish. <laughs> Yes, yes. 
Uh, anyway, so let's uh, start at the very beginning and take you back to Whitefish and tell me about mm -hmm. yourself. Tell me where you were born and grew up and how you got started writing and what you studied in school, yeah, well, all that well, good well, stuff. I, I, Actually, as you as you saw in my uh, in my bio, I, I I did try to include a little bit of my a little bit of my story there. Uh, I, I I redid my bio just in the last couple of years because I was like, bios are so boring. So <laughs> so I, I I worked some of this in, but I'll give you, I'll give you a little more detail. So I I was born in Billings, Montana, uh, which is on the you know on the eastern side of the state. Out I've on, been there too. The yes, <laughs> where it's very very sunny, very cold in the winter, but. Uh, Kind of due south um, of here. The, yeah, it's it's the big sky country. You, you know, they call it down there. Uh, you know, that's the big sky state is Montana, but in eastern Montana, you definitely have that. It's, uh, um, it's but we we moved when I was in fifth grade. We moved to uh, to Whitefish, Montana, which is in the northwest part of the state. It's it's as as you said. It's for for, for people who don't know Montana, that's in the northwest corner of the state. It's in the it's in the Rocky Mountains, and we have a we have a ski mountain which the locals just called the big mountain like 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 so much um western topography it's just whatever names either the, you know the settlers stuck on it or or that were uh translatable from from what the indians said so so they call it the big mountain uh every once in a while they'll, they'll make a push because big mountain sounds really boring and and the, the tourist people the people who run the mountain uh, want to have something that sounds a little more badass and so they try to rename it because there's a creek there that's called hell roaring creek and they they've tried to rename it hell roaring a number of times but they keep failing because the locals just want to call it big mountain and, <laughs> and feel like screw you guys it's just a big mountain um I, I, I actually that, that that sends me off a little bit of a tangent i i i was here i heard a story from one of the guys from the uh who well, it was his dad had had come with the I think it was with the Civilian Conservation Corps, who like built lots of things during the Great Depression, right? Like the it was part of these work projects, mm -hmm. and one of the things that they built was was they built going to the Sun Road all all through Glacier Park. So they actually built you know this road up over the Continental Divide. A anyway, so so part of this was they had teams of surveyors. And um, and so guys would go out and they'd survey things. And some of these things, so, some of the names of the mountains, the streams, and stuff, were were like were unprintable because because you, you know they they they, they kind of had some holdovers. Like you can't call it Kick Your Ass Creek. Like <laughs> like so 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 it was like really there were names of things that were like Kick Your Ass Creek, and and so they'd make up fake Native American names for it. <laughs> you know, so it become like Hickapoo. You, you know, Kickapoo Creek or something, and and it was like because uh, because they didn't want to make their bosses mad. Um, also, it turns out that when you translate, I, I was just reading this this book. Um, oh, where, where, where is this book? Oh, Empire of the Summer Moon. So so the uh, the Native Americans did not have the qualms about calling things uh, what we would think of as as very vulgar names that that the white guys who who came over and wanted to rename things do. So, 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 so sometimes if you directly translate the name, they'd be fairly foul. Um, <laughs> like, like there was a guy who, and you know, his name was just, it meant, um, you know, coyote, female, vagina. <laughs> you know, and that was like the guy's name. Like that was his own name. And, 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 you know, people just thought it was, well, that's just his name. You know, that's the, that, that's the guy. And, uh, and so they would have names like, like that as well. So, so when, uh, when a lot of names out West got, got translated if, if they were 
not deemed okay to people in the you know early 1900s or or late 1800s uh they would just rename them so so that's one of the weird things about about uh about the west about the area i kind of grew up in uh, there's a there's a f sort of strange sense of history there uh both very long history but mostly history uh we didn't we didn't know um uh, fr from from the native peoples, and then very short history from from the settlers. It's like most people who are there are first or second generation. Every once in a while, the family that's been around a really long time has been there for three generations, uh, and that's about as far back as it goes for people. It's like that's it's it's a very shallow roots. It's uh, it was a real shocker when uh, during college I, I went over to I, I went over to Oxford for a semester uh, for Hillary term. Uh, in 1997, I believe, and you know, you'd go to New College, and the New College was built in in 1272 or <laughs> something, and you'd be like, "Wow, the sense of history here is is a little bit different scale than, yeah, than I, what I grew up with in I, in Whitefish, Montana." I had um, much the same reaction. Sorry, that, I had much the same reaction when I was over there because uh, you know, Saskatchewan is the same. The oldest building in Regina here is the. St. Paul's Cathedral, I think, and it's from like 1895 or something like that. Um, and they went to Europe, you know, and yeah, and these are really old. And then the thing with Europe is then as you get closer and closer to Greece, things get older and older and older. <laughs> and so the stuff that seems really old when you're in Northern Europe, then you get down to, to Athens or somewhere, and it's like, well, those, those are the new buildings. <laughs> so it's all a matter oh, of perspective, yeah. for sure. I, 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 was, I was at a... Um I went to. A, I got flown out to a book thing um, in in Dubai, actually in Abu Dhabi. But I, I went to a uh, went to a museum. I love going to museums, and they had some art there. That was, and it was it was actually good art. It was it was these statues. They have no idea what it was. It's like these twin brothers or something, or it's like two male figures that look very similar. Uh, they have no idea the backstory. It's like, yeah, this is six thousand years old, <laughs> like. Wow! <laughs> like, uh, wow. Okay, that's that's a scale that I can't even. I, you know that that's just like that's just big. That's just old. Good good goes into that that dump box. So anyway, sorry for the tangent there. That's okay. But, but uh, <laughs> um, so so, so should, should, should I just pick back up? I uh, back back up in Whitefish. Yes, let's go back to Whitefish. Okay. Okay. So so I was um, so I'd moved. Uh, my my parents actually. Uh, they're moving around schools a lot when I was a kid, mostly within Billings, but I was like in a different school almost every year. Um, and, uh, and so I was an introvert. It always took me a few years to, to, to make friends, to kind of figure out like a social setting to, to do things. And, and so I was kind of a lonely kid. Um, and, you know, move into Whitefish, a fairly insular community. Um, at least, at least when I was there, which was, you know, the the was not the eighties. I guess we were still in the eighties or, or early nineties, um, uh, and and didn't have friends, right? Or, or or had friends, but but not not deep friends, not friends who were very much like me. Um, and I discovered Edgar Allan Poe, and and you know, if 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 I ran into Edgar Allan Poe now as an adult. You know, I don't think we would be friends. Like he was a weirdo. You know, he was a weird guy. Very strange. Uh, yes. <laughs> very strange guy. Clearly had a lot of problems. Um, but what, like in his books, in his in his essays, and in his poems, in his um, in his short stories, clearly, like I I discovered 
one, just a joy in language, in, in his poetry, just like the way that the language sounds, the way the words all fit together. Uh, and then in his, in his short stories, like he would use this crazy huge vocabulary, like these really rare words. But if you looked it up, it was like he always was using exactly the right word. He wasn't like frequently now I'll, I'll see people and they'll use words and it's like, okay, they used a big word there and they didn't need to. Like they're clearly doing it to impress you where it's like, and, and actually sometimes you'll read people and they'll, they'll use you know, elevated vocabulary and you'll be like, actually that kind of has the wrong connotations for what you're trying to get across here. So you're using a big word that you don't even know what it fully means. And, and that's lame, <laughs> you know, that's terrible. But like Poe would always use, he would use big words and he absolutely was trying to impress people because he felt like he was a genius and and nobody uh, nobody understood his genius. Nobody understood that he was a genius and he wanted to impress people. He wanted people to, to know this. And so he would use these big words on purpose to impress people, but it was always the right word. And and so I, I could see this uh, this use of language in a, in a sharp and um, uh, masterly kind, kind of way, which I thought was amazing. And then also like, like plenty of artists do that. So that's, that's, that's not unique. But what, what Poe had was he felt isolated. He felt unappreciated. He felt like there was nobody like him. So Poe felt profoundly lonely, felt, felt isolated, all, 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 all those things. And that was precisely how I was feeling you know, as a, as a 12 year old, I was like, oh my gosh, like all these feelings that I have that I look around and it doesn't seem like anybody else feels this way. Like everybody else seems like they're just doing fine and they have friends and life is going just great for them. And they're like really enjoying life. You, you know, the worst thing was going into high school and people being like, kids, this is the best time of your life. And I was like, <laughs> oh God, please tell me this is not the best time of my life. Um, and, and, and so, so in Poe, I, I, I found this voice, like this person who understood me and that seemed or, or understood what I was going through. And I didn't know at that point that anybody else had ever felt those ways. So it was, it was immensely uh, validating for one. Um, and it was, it was really comforting to me. So I was like, okay, this weird dude who's been dead for, you know, 150 years, like he is making my life better or at least he is making my suffering less and that seemed to me like like magic like he's reaching out over time like like i'm meeting this mind and he's being a friend to me so so that was really powerful to me and and i immediately was like that's cool i want to do that and, and, and so of course i started writing you know i i started writing a novel i my dad had a my dad was kind of an early adopter with with technology and he had like this 25 pound Mac laptop with, you know, like an eight inch screen on it. it. It was probably one of the first laptops ever. And I would steal it every, every night and, and sit and, and put it on my lap. Boy, it was hot. Probably, probably did bad things to my body and, and type. And I would just like, you know, thousands of words a day. It just came pouring out of me. Um, and I was like, Oh, this writing thing, this is great. You know, until I went back and, and I would read, you know, when you go back and you read it and you're like, Oh, this is wow, this is crap. So, 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 so I, I discovered right away that I really liked writing and, um, and I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I, as I'd hope, I hoped I would be certainly. So I, um, were there other right, 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 time too. I, so, so I had a teacher who 
who saw that I was um, Nancy Helgeth, who, man, I thought she was old then, and she is, she is still around, she's still kicking. She actually just posted a, a comment on one of my Facebook uh, things just this week, which she, she is the sweetest lady. She's still cheerleading for me. Uh, she's, she tells me she's so proud of me. It's, it's really amazing. So she changed my life by, uh, she said, one, she really encouraged me. I think she might have given me the pro in the first place. Um, and then she was like, why don't, you, why don't you read those to your classmates at lunch? Because we, we could sit in her classroom at lunch and, and have our lunch inside, which was you know, way better than trying to find which, which set of kids you sit with in the cafeteria when you're like, who do I impose myself on? You, know, you stare around the cafeteria, you've got your food, and you're like, oh, God. Now I've got to find some place to sit, uh, and so she she said, "Hey, you guys can can eat my lunch my, in my classroom." So we would go there, and I would read Edgar Allan Poe stories to to the you know the wide eyed seventh graders uh, who were who must have thought I was a super weirdo, but uh, that was that was okay. It was like they also thought, "Wow, that's amazing that Brent can read those those big stories that are really challenging and stuff." So so it kind of gave me a place. Uh, gave me something to do, and um, my my now wife Christy was uh, was one of those kids who was who was eating lunch in the in that room, and and she for sure thought I was kind of strange, um, but you know at least now she knew I was alive. So, <laughs> so, so 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 that that was the start of my story, I guess. There, there um, must have been other books besides yeah. Poe that influenced you to become a writer. What else did you oh, read at the time? I, yeah, I, I, um, so I I got into. I got into Tolkien at the, at the same time. So, so actually, like when I look at my writing, it's like I, I don't see, I don't see very much effect from from Edgar Allan Poe on my writing. It, it was it was more in my personal life and that I would try to write, um, but stylistically, I don't see a whole lot of, of, of carryover from him. Uh, it, it, it was it was at that time it was uh, it was Tolkien, just like pretty much everybody. I would read Tolkien. I would go. I'd read the four books because the Silmarillion didn't didn't really hit for me. At that point, um, I would read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and then I would try whatever whatever else our library had, and which wasn't a huge number of things. And um, it, it, it was sort of like in that time period. In the obviously, the library had books from like what the late seventies through the late eighties. You know, because of course it's a school library, so they have older books. It, it was sort of like. Everybody was trailing along in the wake of of in, in, in the wake of, of, of J.R.R. Tolkien, who of course had spent his entire career building, you know, one thing, and and had really only written had only published right four books, uh, and so these guys are trying to trying to turn around and write a very Tolkien esque thing, you know, in a year. Like, okay, I'm going to write one of those, and then I'm going to write something completely different, and then I'm going to write you know my space western, and, and and like you just can't do it, right? Like that. It, it's a it's a poor facsimile, and and I'll try not to you know name too many names, um, but but like a lot of the stuff that was was being sold as fantasy felt like pale imitations, and mm-hmm. it felt like it even even to me. I sort of I sort of think of uh, I don't even know if this is true for sure, but but what I've heard is uh, to teach agents how to how to pick up counterfeits. They don't have you study all the counterfeits and all the ways that things can be slightly wrong. They have you study the real the real you know, legal tender, and you just you just examine it absolutely in depth, and and you get to know it, and then when you look at a counterfeit, you go, something's off about this. Like you just get a, a visceral sense of like, eh, this isn't quite right, and 
and I had that with I had that with a lot of fantasy that was out at that time. It felt like it was trying to be Tolkien and just failing. So it's sort of like I would go, I would try something, and then I'd go back and I'd read Tolkien again, and then and then I'd be like, okay, enough of that. I got to go try something. Yeah, you know, and, and and you would read stuff that wasn't trying to be Tolkien, but it was like, okay, it's Piers Anthony, right? It's 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 puns and funny magic and kind of some weird sex stuff sometimes, which I'm sure was sort of interesting to me as a as a seventh eighth grader, right? Like, oh my gosh, there's sex stuff in books. Whoa! Um, but but what but but was but was not what I was going to what, what I was looking for when I was reading. It was like that's not the same thing as a secondary world that really just grabs you and that you feel like you're in it and you're part of it for you know the many hours it takes you to read this. Um, after that, I, I eventually uh, got into. I mean, I was reading plenty of other stuff, of course, uh, just all the all the random stuff that's in the library that seems like it might be good. You know, OK, they have, they have 70 books of Louis L'Amour. You know, OK, I'll pick up a Louis L'Amour book. And it's like, OK, this is a fun, you know, this is a fun adventure. And that's great. They had uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. You know, oh, well, this is also a fun adventure. You know, OK, uh, you, you have your Martian things and then you also have your your um, your your Tarzan things. Right. So. Uh, so lots of lots of little adventure kind of stories there. Uh, eventually, uh, Robert Jordan started coming out with his books. I can't remember when he first came out. That that must have been early 90s, right? Probably 92, 93. Yeah, I remember um, off the top of my head. So so I, I got really into it. was like, oh, it's sort of like Tolkien, except there's women. Like, hey, that's cool. <laughs> you know? And and so I, I, I really loved uh, I really loved those books. Um uh, and then I early on got into George R. R. Martin. I think I think I discovered him uh, the I, within a year of the, the the first book coming out. I, I I probably did. I don't think I got the the hardcover because you know hardcover was like whatever back then twenty bucks or something. And I, of course, I was a kid. I didn't really have much disposable income. So I think as soon as his his first book, which didn't even hit the New York Times bestseller list, as soon as it came out in paperback, I think in nineteen ninety seven. Uh, I read that and was like, oh my gosh, this is neat. And then the second book came out and it was better than the first book. And I was like, oh, this is how you do it. Like, like so often, you, you know, you sort of read the, uh, the fantasy or sort of science fiction uh, trilogies, right? Because everything had to be a trilogy because Tolkien did a trilogy. Uh, um, and like the first book would have felt like it had all the great ideas that you would, that you'd run into. And then the second book was just kind of, you know, treading water. And and then the third book, you know, stuff would happen again, uh, and and I felt like frequently there'd be a sophomore slump. And with George R. R. Martin, it's like there wasn't. Like I liked the second book. I can't remember the titles, right? I just think the, the, first the set, funny thing book. about the trilogy thing is that, of course, Tolkien didn't write the books as a trilogy. That's just the way they were published. Oh, oh absolutely, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's because it was, you know, it was like four hundred and forty thousand words or something. So it was like just two. Too stinking long. But it's know? actually and, and even, six books internally, I think, five or six. I can't remember without looking it up. And I wrote a oh, biography. Right, yeah. um, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Um, yeah. So, 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 uh, so I, uh, yeah. I, I, so, so he came along, and, and he was sort of early enough and late enough that he, he had he had a big effect on me without uh, without me completely falling into the hole of his uh, of his genius. Well, while so you're sort of because I. I yeah, yeah, go ahead. While you're doing all this this reading, uh, by this point you're out of high school, I would think. Uh, are you, yeah. you, you were continuing to write? What did you do as you moved into your university years? Did you decide, did you study writing? Or what, what did you, 
What happened? Oh, uh, so, so, so I, uh, so I, I think I gave up writing after after a while. I I tried to write that first book. I think I I wrote. I, I wish I could find it. Of course, it's probably on some you know floppy disk somewhere. Five and a quarter, uh, or eight, and, or even the bigger yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, something you you can't get off the old media. Um, this will last forever because it's in you, you know it's it's on computers now. No, 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 it won't. Um, I. I, yeah, I, I got really far into that book, and then, like, like I said, like I had um, Average Last kind of has from This American Life. He has this, he has this long thing about how taste makes an artist, like, and how you have this gap, um, this gap between what your taste says is good and what you're able to make, mm-hmm. and the gap, like, is is your friend ultimately because you need to have good taste in order to do good work. If you can't tell. The difference between good work and bad work you're going to make bad work um so so like even as a seventh eighth grader it's like i i don't know i probably wrote i probably wrote a hundred thousand words which is more than novel length you know and um except in epic fantasy and i i went back and i and i would read it and it was just so painful to me because it was so not good it was so not professional right and so i it it, it demoralized me and i quit writing and I just, I, I just read, and I, I became a reader. I got more into, I, you know, began to have a social life, which, which was good. I, I got into high school. I enjoyed life a little bit more. I did football and, and, um, and a couple other sports. I, I really enjoyed that. I kind of, uh, you know, hit, hit other parts of my brain other than just the nerd, because, uh, because you know, back then, nerd was not cool. Like, like nerd is kind of okay now wasn't really okay back then. So it was like I was secretly a nerd on the inside, but I wouldn't really talk about that stuff <laughs> at school. You know, I wouldn't tell people. I, actually, one of my, one of my best friends, um, he found out I was writing a novel in high school because I, I was writing again, and, and he mocked me for it. You know, and I was like, okay, that's, that's a secret that's not okay to tell people about. And uh, so, it's, yeah, you, you know, also that's the quality of friends you kind of can have sometimes in, in high school. So, uh so, so I, I, I went to college. I knew I wanted to be a writer. I, you know, I kind of had that in my, uh, in my college applications. I had, I had an essay about kind of secretly being a, a poetry nerd, but, but being a football player and stuff. Um, and um, it was when I went, uh, I, I, when I went to Oxford, I went to Oxford as a sophomore, which was kind of way too early to really take advantage of, of the opportunities. Because I wasn't quite grown up enough, but it, but also was pretty wonderful for me because I took a uh, I took a creative writing class over there, and and so I'm sitting there uh, at C.S. Lewis and Tolkien's pub, you know, the, the Eagle and Child, the Bird and the Baby, as they'd call it, and and each week I'd be responsible for writing a short story, and so I'd you know get my Guinness. I was 19, so I could drink over there, and uh, you know that was that was very exciting. Um, I'd get my Guinness, I'd go sit in the back with, with my notebooks and I'd write a story. And every week I knew that my story was basically crap. You know, it wasn't very good. But other people in the, in my seminar were like, you're, you're really good. You know, you, you're good at this. What? Wow. You know, your stuff is so great. And I was like, it is like, man, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can make a go of this. You know, I really, I, I just, I knew people couldn't make a living writing books like i knew like i knew the statistics were like okay if if you get published or you know three in ten thousand manuscripts get picked up for publication and then if you get published the average um the average wage that that a person who puts novelist 
as uh, as their uh, as their occupation and submits their things to the to the IRS. You know, this this was 20 years ago, but but the stats are probably fairly similar still. Like like the average that a person would make in a year was eight thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's that's a little shy of a living wage. You know, even in even in 1997 or or, or sorry, 1999 when when I was looking to graduate college. Uh, so so like I just knew you couldn't really make it. I knew that it was like everybody knows Stephen King because he's sort of like he won the lottery. So you can't you can't play the lotto just looking at the people who won the lottery, or you're going to waste you, you know your life savings because you're sure you're going to win. So so I I knew that that wasn't going to happen, but I thought you know what what the hell I'm young. Uh, I'll try. Uh, so, so I started. I started writing a book while I was still in college. Uh, I, I just started right away. Actually, when I was over there, I started as a sophomore, um, and I got it. I actually finished it, and it was it was not great. I I did a lot. I, I spent a lot of time editing it. I actually got it to where it was good enough that that I I sent it off to some agents. Including like like I, I I followed some advice that people had said you know find agents who represent work that's sort of similar to yours and that you think is good uh, figure out you know if the author has thanked that person then probably they have a good working relationship and like like this was this was the the internet was around but it wasn't nearly as helpful as it is now so so there was just like a lot of legwork you'd go to the library and you'd get a book and you'd you'd have to try to find in the book who were the actual agents who did work you, you know you, you'd have to try to find how where to get their address so so like the first agent i sent my book to um yeah i didn't realize they were dead <laughs> so, 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 so i was like <laughs> yeah yeah i i wrote a very nice letter to them i actually got a rejection from from their uh from their office which was very kind of them uh, but the guy had been dead for two you know three years and i just i didn't know that uh so I felt like I made every mistake along the way, um, but but I, I realized as I was looking at the book, the book was you know two hundred some thousand words long, and really I was about halfway done, um, and and I was like I I'm trying to write books that are Robert Jordan length, you know I'm trying to write books that are that are Tolkien length like that to me feels the right length of the whole of the whole Lord of the Rings you know I'm, I'm halfway done at two hundred thousand words I'm trying to write a Lord of the Rings right here I'm like. That's, I, I knew I couldn't get that published. And so I, I just felt like I, I, I wrote a book, the bones are broken, no matter what I do to fix the skin and put more makeup on it, structurally it's just messed up. So I, um, at this point I, I, I graduated from college. I decided I was, it, it was a good time to be poor. Uh, like everybody's supposed to be poor right when they graduate from college, right? So I, um, I figured I would get a day job I would, I didn't have any money, so so I I, I went and my parents had a, a cabin. Well, we we called it a cabin. It was a, a really dumpy house, but it had electricity and you know indoor plumbing. Uh, I was able to rent from my parents. I, I I rented the downstairs of of their cabin, and I I got a day job. So I I started. I, I would tend bar in the evening, and I'd write mornings, and I stayed there for. Um, uh, working on, I, I threw away that first book. I, I decided, okay, I learned something. I learned a lot from from actually writing this. I got to throw it away, and I came up with this great idea of, um, and this is this is the origin of, of the Night Angel trilogy. 
I said, well, I've done all this world building and I like there's things about this book that are structurally messed up, but there's things about it that work really well. Like I really like some of the world building I've done. I really like some of the characters I've made. Like what if I rewind the clock, you know, 20 some years or something. And I, and I tell a story about a character uh, in that world, but just in a different part of the world. Then I still get to like explore the world. Like, I still get to do all the, the interesting stuff of, of, of building a new place. Um, but I haven't thrown away all the work that I'm doing. And I could still come back to this story and these characters, uh, you know, including some young characters. Um, and I can even like do some fun stuff of having, you know, the, the, there's some prophecies and stuff, but they'll be about these people. And I'll, I, I won't just be faking it because I've already made them, you know, like, like I'll never publish this book, but I can, I can use these characters in these events and I'll come back to them at some point. So, so I, re, I, I found a character who was this total badass, um, who was very mysterious. He shows up like for, for one or two chapters. He saves one of the characters and then he just leaves and he's got like this weird code of ethics. Uh, and then he just goes and I'm like, who's that guy? And how did he get to be who he is? Like, well, I, w I want to find that out. So, so that guy was, was Tyler Stern. And I figured, yeah, you know, okay, so we'll, 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 we'll jump over to some different part of the world and we'll find out how Tyler Stern um, uh, becomes who he is. And, and that, that question was like, okay, how do you, how do you take a basically reasonably moral human being and have them become an assassin? Like, cause that's not really a job that a reasonably moral person would pick. And so I, so, so I was like, well, they have to be in absolutely the worst situation possible where there's no other way out. So, so, okay. So he's in this completely crooked city and it's awful there. And well, people wouldn't let a child do that sort of thing, any sort of reasonable adult. So there's no reasonable adults around. Actually, he's being he's being raised in a street gang, like of children, um, and, and I, you know, I, I really like that idea. So 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 I started from there, and I I built the Night Angel trilogy out of that. So I, I started that um, obviously after college and after um, after a couple of years. So I I also did a stint as a uh, after I was penning bar, I. I found out this Christy Barnes emailed me out of the blue. But back then, if you're if you're on Hotmail, you could just search for names and people would come up. And so there was a Brent Week she saw in Montana. And so she emailed me out of the blue, and I I took this as a sign that one, well, she's still single, but she's still Christy Barnes, and and two, she she must be interested. <laughs> so 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 you know I I uh, I started pursuing her again, even though she had. She had shot me down before, uh, notably in high school when, when I asked her out. She shot me down. So, so I uh, eventually that worked out, and and I, uh, I I moved out to Oregon, where she was she was finishing up a master's, uh, and I got a job as a school teacher. During that that year that I was a school teacher, I didn't write at all, like zero. It was it was sort of terrifying to me as a as a creative person because. Um, like, like I would sit down and I, when I finally had some time, which was not often, I was like, I have, I have nothing in my bucket. My bucket is empty. And as a creative person, that was like, that felt like a little death. <laughs> so I was like, okay, apparently I can't work as a teacher, which is a job which requires creativity, of course, and it requires a bunch of passion. I can't do this job and write, even though I really like the kids, um, and and really enjoyed being with them. I like teaching, actually. 
Um, I don't like creative homework, of course, but nobody knows that. Uh, and, <laughs> I come from a long family so, of teachers, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm sure. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, well, I, I was, I was a, well, I was the first year teacher. I hadn't ever taken any teaching class, but I was just, I was an English major with, with basically a classics minor. Um, I came to this small Christian school that the, uh, the, the English department was in shambles and, and the, the, you know, the guy was like, oh, you've been in an honors program at a, at, at a, at a college and you've, you've done really well. And, and you seem like a smart guy. He's like, here, here's the keys to, to the book closet, you know, good luck. And kind of patted me on the back and, and said, you, you know, come up with your own curriculum. And I, I did. This is, you know, first year teacher, plus I'm making up my own curriculum on the fly. Have never done this. And I had, I had sophomores, I had junior, I had honors, juniors, and I had freshmen. So, so, so I had very different preps and I had no idea what I was doing. So I was, uh, wow, it was, it was a heck of a year. Um, but, but yeah, I didn't write it all during that year. And then, then when we got married, my wife said, you know what, why don't you not work? and you just stay home and write and so i became a house husband and i i was a house husband uh, i i made breakfast lunch and dinner and uh and then i wrote while my wife was off at work and we were very poor and it was very difficult being poor is super romantic for about one month <laughs> um and then and then it just sucks uh yeah um we did that for five years and our you know watching sort of our friends have their careers kind of take off and like like your your friends get they buy a car hey be nice to be able to afford to buy a car and then they get a dog and then you know they buy a house and then you know they start having kids and you're like we're still sitting we're still sitting in our crappy little apartment and this is terrifying so so that was that was our uh we were following the dream we felt like that was what we're supposed to do um and when I wanted to give up, she didn't want to give up, and I don't think she ever wanted to give up. So that was good because she was definitely sacrificing a lot so that I could I could follow this crazy dream. Uh, and and then you know, uh, five years in, I, I got the book deal. So that's that's shortening that a little bit, but I've I've gone really long. On, on, <laughs> well, that on actually the basic question actually ties so, ties in pretty well because now we do want to focus on the the process. You did talk a little bit about the process when you were talking about mm-hmm. um, how you went back twenty years in the storyline and and found a new character mm-hmm. to tell the story about. But uh, the new one is Nemesis, and it's in that same series that you you started with back mm-hmm. then. Um, so maybe the first place to start is briefly a little bit about the new book. Um, so, so, so the, the, the new book is, I, I took on this, a couple of interesting challenges with, with the new book. So it is, uh, it both is and is not a continuation of the Night Angel trilogy. Um, I, the, the, the way we decided to do this, I, I wanted to tell a story that new readers could jump in, uh, and, like if this was a first book of mine that they'd read, that it would make sense to them, but also that of course, um, old readers, uh, continuing readers would would find you know tons of depth and and extra fun to it. With that, so, so, so I wanted to be able to introduce new readers to to this new uh, to this new series to this new world for them without boring the old readers, right? Like like you don't want to have five pages of action, like like this is how it's done when it's done badly. There's five pages of action. 
And then you sit down with the old professor and says, whoa, what have you been up to, professor? You, you know, so what have you been up to, Kyler? And then, and then Kyler talks for, for 10 pages, you know, to give you, to give us all the background, which of course the professor would already know, you, you know, and well, how do things work out in this world? And then somebody tells you about how, how the world works out, you, you know, for, for 10 minutes. How does magic work in, in this land? So I don't remember. Yeah, as you know, Bob. Bob. <laughs> yeah, as, as you know, Bob. It, 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 exactly. The, the as you know, Bobs can get really extreme when you're talking about fantasy. Um, be, like, especially so in this, my, my challenge as a, as a technician, if, if I can be te- you know, technical, is I have both readers who read the Night Angel trilogy, you know, 14 years ago, and they've forgotten a lot of it, but they remember a lot of it. I'll, I, I will have completely new readers who don't know any of this stuff. And then I will have readers who finished the Night Angel trilogy yesterday, and they're starting this. And you don't want to bore any of them, and you don't want to confuse any of them, except in the places where you want them confused. Um, so, so it's it's a really tricky storytelling problem to, to take on. Uh, I also wanted to make I, I also wanted to give myself uh, freedom as a storyteller. I I tried different challenges with pretty much every book I've done. And I and I don't want to I don't want to retread the same ground. Um, like readers frequently think that they want you to tell the same story again, and that's never true. <laughs> like, and even if it were true, you would get diminishing returns. And and the reason for that is because they don't want you to tell the same story. They want to have the same experience that they had when they read the story for the first time. And and you can't, you, you know, you can't recapture the surprise when you find out, you know, oh, this was going on all along, because now you know that that was going on all along. You, you know, you, you can capture a different surprise if, if, you know, as readers reread, they go, oh, you were building that in all along? That's cool. But that's a different pleasure than, um, than retelling the same story. So, so with, uh, with Night Angel Nemesis, it does pick up with Kyler, um, but this time, and, and it picks up after the events of the Night Angel trilogy. Uh, so in many ways, and it is still, I do still have the framework of, of this world that I started building, you know, when I was a sophomore in college, which is back in 1997 now. So it's been 25 years that I've been working on this world. So it is a continuation of all those things, but it's also new. Um, so I uh, sort of, in, and I've also grown in my, in my storytelling skills. So I decided that I would uh, do this as a first-person point of view, and and it would just be where we're pretty much hanging out with Kyler. We're we're in Kyler's head. Kyler's telling the story, and I thought, well, that'll be that'll be different. That'll give me a lot of different challenges as a, as a storyteller, and I, I I also hope that it would help me contain the sprawl because you know you start uh, you start going down the epic fantasy trail and the books get longer and longer. So so night in the Night Angel trilogy was one hundred fifty thousand words. 150,000 words, it wasn't meant to be exactly the same, but it was, and then 175,000 words, although the first drafts were 200,000 words, but they were like, that's ridiculously long, nobody will ever buy it if it's that long, so you got to cut it, so I, I cut it down to 100, 175,000 words, uh, and then from there I've gone, you know, 207,000 words, 230,000 words, <laughs> 300,000 words, 240,000 words, 400,000 words <laughs> and uh, I said, like, come on, man, I got to get back to, uh, so, so I aimed to make this one be 125,000 words. I was like, this, this is just going to be my tightest story ever. It's going to be really lean and I'm going to get this done in 125,000 words. 
So, so shorter than the Night of, Night of the Trilogy. And, uh, and it ended up as 315,000 words. <laughs> so, so, so when, when it came time to do this, like you have this world and you've written in it for a long time, how do you, this is a version of where do you get your ideas, but how do you, mm -hmm. pluck, how do you pluck out the note from all the, the possible notes that you could pluck <laughs> out of that, out of that creation uh, that will then resonate, oh, carrying on the metaphor, into a new, into a new story? Um, so, so I, I had, uh, I'd always, I'd always intended to tell uh, more stories in this world. L like I said, I've, I've, I've got the fabric. I've got characters who are going to be main characters in this story. You know, twenty years after the events of the first Night Angel book. Um, so, so I've got this sort of scaffolding, and and one of my big things was uh, when I finished Night Angel trilogy and when I was getting it published, I. I, the books were doing pretty darn well. And so my publisher came back to me and they said, uh, they said, we want your next three books and we don't care what they are. And I was like, okay, that, that is a rare place to be in as, mm -hmm. a, <laughs> as a storyteller, as a, as, a, as a published author these days. And I was like, okay. So, so on the one hand, I was like, I, I, I want to tell, I want to write more Night Angel books. And on the other hand, I was like, I don't think I'm ready to... As a storyteller, I don't think I'm ready to pull off some of the ideas that, that I have here. So I said, you know what? You know what? Also, I I don't want to get stuck writing in this series for my whole life because because even by the end of it, I was like, you know what? There's some things that I would do differently. Now, you know, I was I was 30 years old, and I was like, you know, I made some decisions when I was 25, and I would do some things differently now. Um, for for a trivial example, like I had lots of lots of names with apostrophes in them. And by the time I was 30, I was kind of like, okay, you know what? I'm kind of tired of apostrophe names. Like, like that's very, very much harkening back to my youth, right? And, and I was like, well, crap, now I've got apostrophes I got to deal with. So, so, so um, but, but when I looked at it, I was like, you know what? I, I, I want to do something different. I want to try a different, a different scale, a different tone. And so I, 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 I dodged over. I quickly wrote the Lightbringer series, and then I came back. You know, you know, just, it took me three years and did five books in three years came right back. Uh, except, except it didn't take that. It wasn't quick. So, so, so I ended up doing that for 12 years. I, I wrote the Lightbringer series. Uh, but I'd always wanted to come back to this, and, I, and I'd never made any promises to people about how I would tell the stories because I saw a couple different... Um, I had a lot of characters that I liked, and I had different places. I, I had some crises for some of those characters that I knew were coming up. Um, and it's like, do I tell it? Do I tell that crisis? You, you know, so, and, I, and I put them into the... Uh, I put them into the Night Angel, the third book of Night Angel, which is which is Beyond the Shadows. I, I have like I have a prophecy in there. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you don't have to worry about this yet. Oh, how how long is Logan's reign going to last? You, you know, Logan becomes king at, at at the end of the thing, and he's like, yeah, you know, either two years or or eighteen or something is what I say. So it's like, okay, I I know I have this crisis point that I can I can pick up there, and so so when I uh, I decided with with these books that that I would I would at least for for this book. Uh, tell it slow that there's stuff I that Kyler still needs to do and that he uh, that he needs to work through there were there were characters that I still wanted to to explore more and get to know better um, that had interesting backgrounds and I and I was like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in I'm gonna see if this works so so I hadn't so so I I carefully didn't tell fans about what I was doing until basically now uh, because I wasn't sure if I could pull it off you know, like, it's, is this going to work? Uh, 
do, do I have enough? Do I have places to go with Tyler, or or is he kind of played out? You know, like he had sort of three books where he was the the main character. Maybe maybe he doesn't have any more issues now. You know, like maybe it's sort of just boring. Like like the the external action is very interesting, but if the characters don't go anywhere internally, if they don't have things to learn, if they don't have uh, ways to grow uh, that readers can connect with, hopefully. Um, then, then they become very static, and I, I don't really like writing static characters. It's it doesn't uh, it doesn't challenge me. It's not as interesting for me to read, and so so I don't I uh, I didn't know if Tyler had a lot to learn, and it turns out he's got tons to learn. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. So when you're setting out on this journey, then and you know, you, it sounds like you don't necessarily know if your character has, <laughs> as you said, things to learn and can grow. Do you do a lot of planning or do you discover a lot of this as you write what does your planning process look like uh, so, so so with 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 this book i i always feel like i i want to do as much planning as i can beforehand because i know it's going to save me a ton of time on the back side but i'm as much as i would love to be i am just not an outliner so so what i end up doing is i i spend months really writing down cool stuff or writing down insights into the character writing down snippets of dialogue and then and then kind of seeing what makes sense with who the character is and what their problems are in life and then putting that onto well what's happening in the world and and does that can i make that fit together in an interesting in an interesting way so so that the end the, the internal and the external problems in the world uh you know thematically bring something to each other so so that they affect each other um, and, and I, I always play with that, but, and generally I have, I have what I think of as, as a mountain in the distance, like, okay, this would be a great climax for a novel. If this thing happened and at the end of the book, you know, Tyler has to assassinate a king. Okay. Well, well, that's, that's a perfectly fine for, for a guy who's a, an assassin. Okay. And the, in the second book, he's got to assassinate, you know, a, a God King. Yeah, you know, and then in the in the third book, he's got to assassinate a god. <laughs> you know, like okay, that 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 amps things up, and and that's kind of that's the external, obviously, very much boiled down of the Night Angel trilogy. So 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 I sort of have like that's an interesting thing. That sounds like a, a worthy challenge for Kyler. So so part of this, of course, was also like okay, what do I do with a character who is really powerful? Um, like like if if you look at the Matrix. After the first Matrix movie, uh, Neo's just, he's too powerful. He's, he can do everything. He, he can't die. If he does die, he can be reborn. Uh, he can fly. He can stop bullets. He can bend reality however he wants. And so, so like, it made for a great ending of, of the first Matrix movie. It was amazing. Guy flies away. You're like, that's cool. And then it made a really challenging storytelling mm -hmm. problem for, for the writers. Uh, to like, okay, how, where do we go? Once this guy's completely immortal and untouchable and omnipotent, and obviously they struggled with that. Um, so, so, so I wanted to make sure I, I uh, had a good solution for that myself. Uh, so, so, so those are things I worked with. This time I spent way more time outlining, um, not just not just that book. What, what I calling it outlining is is a little. I didn't do like every story beat. I just did like a lot of of thinking through. What are some things that would make sense? What are some cool points where we need to hit? Uh, and then 
you know, can I save myself some time on the back end? Because, because usually I, I just do a lot of rewriting. I, I, I write it. I do discover a ton of things as I go along. I still give myself that freedom of like, if I find a more interesting way to get to that mountain in the distance, like that I, that I didn't foresee in the first month I spent, you know, working on this book. If, if I work on this book for another year and I come up with a better way to get to that mountain, I'm going to look at everything I've done and say, does that still work? Does that still get me there? Um, you know, I, I don't take a detour into, let's go into that valley. It looks better to me today and just forget the mountain. We don't want to go to the mountain anymore. That's just a boring drive, yeah, which, you know, betrays your, betrays your audience, I think. Um, but, but as long as the, as long as the, you know, taking a right turn instead of a, the left is more interesting and still gets us to the mountain, I'll, I'll do that. So, so I, I, I think a lot of writers will say, oh, I had it in mind all the way from the beginning. And it's like, so you didn't have any ideas in the, in the last 20 years you spent. <laughs> you know, you had all your ideas the first that you're outlining your book and now you're just writing it down and that makes you a genius. Man, I, I, I think it's the opposite. So, so, so do so you write, I, um, do you bang out like uh, one, one draft start to finish and then do all this rewriting you're talking about or do you tend to rewrite as you go? Yeah, uh, so, so I, 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 do, I do push all the way through. Um, I, as I go, if I find things that I've messed up, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, make I'll, I'll make notes of changes that I'm going to make. I'll say, okay, this doesn't work for this character. What she needs to be like is this. And then I'll just leave myself a big note about this all needs to change for, for the rest of this to work out. And actually, back then, she said this to Kyla. And, and so I'll leave myself a huge run. And then I'll just write forward as if I've already made that change. And then as soon as I'm done, I go back, I find all those notes, and I go, okay, I got to go back and I got to fix that. So it, it, it keeps me moving forward so that I actually get done. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, editing and editing and editing, pushing forward a little bit, tiny bit, and then editing, and, and I get stuck forever. So I, I do try to push on to the end because sometimes there's things that you discover about the story by ending it that you couldn't find out any other way. Yeah. Like, well, oh, this is way more satisfying if this is about this. Oh. You know, yeah. but if you if you spent you know all your time editing it to point it the wrong direction at the end, and it doesn't work with the ending, you're like, well, crap. You know, so so, so you you always have to hold things somewhat loosely, and always believe that tomorrow I'll be able to do better. Uh, in case you have to throw stuff out, but sometimes it's it's really it really hurts to throw stuff out. It's like it's very good writing, and points in the wrong direction. I've had the experience uh, of getting two thirds of the way through a novel and only then finally understanding what it was I was trying to accomplish, <laughs> and realize yes, that that's right. well, that's what this is about. Oh, I didn't realize that until now. So. Yes, and, and 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 I've done that, and and I it's it's painful, but it's it's part of the discipline of it. I've I so, and you, I would hope that that never happens as as you get more experience with this, but it it still happens to me with uh, with my last book. I I had to throw out. Um, a hundred thousand words. Mm. I was like, "This is all. This is all interesting. It, it, it all works internally, and it doesn't fit with this series. It doesn't fit the tone of the other books. There's been four books in the other series. Uh, this is interesting in and of itself. It would be fine as part of another book, but it doesn't fit the pacing at all, and it destroys the pacing of this series for us to spend all this time doing this. So I need to cut this, and." And I'd done a lot of work making sure that those scenes did five things, not just, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to fix the problems of the scene. I knew I had pacing problems and I, I had done all this work to, to make it still do other stuff. But the main problem was still there. It's like, this is just way, way, way too much time. 
and it's it's uh, it's overburdening. You know, one of the points of view is way too long compared to the other points of view for us to to arrive at the end of this book and at the end of this series all at the same time. And so I was like, okay, I just got to do it. I got to throw it away. So, 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 so I never throw things away. I, try, I trick myself. I, I take it and I paste it into another document and I save it carefully. And then I never look at it again, but, <laughs> but it's still there in case I really want, in case I really want to go do it. Do but you, uh, deleted it, it's do you there. bring in, uh, beta readers at any point? Are you an author who works with, you know, gets a second opinion? Um, somewhere I, along I, the way? I, I, I didn't do that for my first, uh, probably three, four books. And then I did it with a very small circle. And with, with this, uh, with this book, I did it with, uh, 15, I had 15 beta readers this time. Mm. And, and it was really for a small number of problems. Like I, I had a beta reader who hadn't read any of the night angel books or, or I had two who hadn't read the night angel books at all so that I could see how does this strike? How lost are you? Because it's that thing of like, I know what I know, but I don't know what you know and how, how well you're able to follow this as, right. a, as a person who's the, these characters. So I wanted to have some of those voices. Uh, and then for other readers, it's like, okay, you don't, don't reread the Night Angel trilogy before you read this, because I'm glad it's been ten years since you've read it. You know, you know, uh, I want your feedback on what you remembered and what you did, and how fast you pick up on things. Uh, so, so, so that was I. I did use that this time, uh, which was which was helpful. Do you? What kind of feedback do you get from your editor when it gets to that point? Do you end up doing a lot of editorial rewriting, or is it more <clears throat> nitpicky stuff? Or, um, well, I I had a new editor for this one. Uh, compared to, so I, I had one editor for my first, uh, what, how many books do I have out there? Well, like, like, like for the first 10 years, I, I had one editor. Uh, I had an editor um, just for the last library book, and then I, now I have a new editor. And um, I showed him stuff very early on this time. Usually I don't. Usually I, I, I kind of have wanted to, them to see it when it's a little more polished, because the editor is your first salesperson. They've got to they've got to sell everybody else on it. So I, I'd wanted my editor to be really excited about it, uh, but this time I involved him earlier. I also involved uh, my my agent uh, Don Moss, who is just absolutely brilliant, understands story stuff really really well. I, I involved him very early on too, because I, I knew I was going to do some stuff in this book that was that was technically really challenging, and um, was kind of audacious, and I needed to check in like is this working and is this going the way I, I you know, I, I think it's going? And can I, am I pulling this off? Is really like, sometimes you're like, okay, I tried something really hard. I, I think it worked. Did that work? You know, and then, and, and then you're like, okay, I don't like how, how it left this. Uh, I changed it a little bit. Okay, now I ask again. So I brought in more outside voices this time than I almost ever do. So like each book is different is the weird thing. They're all hard in their own ways. And it's, I feel like it's okay even 15, 20 years into a career to try new things. Well, that, that segues nicely into my big philosophical questions here as our time mm. uh, gets near to its end, which is why do you do it? <laughs> why do you write? Why do you think anybody writes? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's work and it's not always rewarding, although it often is. So why, why do you write and why do you think human beings in general do this, this thing where we tell stories? And then the other question is why fantastic stories as opposed to just slice of life stories? Um, I think, I think, so I'll, t I'll, I'll take those in opposite order. I, I love fantasy because it, 
it gives me the widest possible canvas. It's um, also, I think it's really, really difficult <laughs> because, because you have to come up with your own secondary world. You know, when you're writing secondary world fantasy, it's like, like you've got to build a mythology. If, if you're into languages, you know, you build languages, you, you, you build characters, you build cultures, you, you build like how this world works on a grand scale. And then, and then you invite readers to, to live there. And, and that's, that's really neat. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a profound act of, you know, demi creation that, that I think is, uh, it's, it's challenging, but it's also really fun and beautiful when it's done well. Um, so I, I like that, that you're not, um, you're not constrained by real world events like you like you are when you write you know historical fiction or and and you're not stuck you know if it, i would love to write stuff about you know ancient greece or whatever because i i love i love the greeks i love love my homer uh find find those guys just unbelievably brilliant how how athens flowered and and just had all these huge minds that have affected all of human history uh, just like what the hell was in the water there? <laughs> you, you know, you, you have Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and Alexander the Great all within you know generations of each other and knowing each other. Like all those guys know each other. You know, as you're like, what the? That's weird. Um, so, so, but like to actually write that novel, I'd have to spend I'd have to spend 20 years just getting the academic background so that I don't say stupid stuff that people read and go, ah, that's wrong. You know, they didn't they didn't have wheat. You know, they had spelt. Jeez, I can't believe this guy. He's he <laughs> he shouldn't be writing stories. You know, if, if if you're writing a fantasy, you just say, yeah, they're growing wheat. <laughs> you know, and nobody says they're not growing wheat there. Uh, I, I mean, you do have to be internally co coherent. So that's its own. That's got its own set of challenges. But I like I like fantasy because of the big canvas that it does, uh, because of the difficulty of it, and because of how much you're transported into this other world. How it uh, like I, I feel like in fantasy. We can you can get pulled out of your own uh, preconceptions and biases, and you can look at a problem that in this world you've already you've already made up your mind about it because those people are that political party or those people are from that historical or ethnic group, and like I already know those are bad guys. Um, where in fantasy you can say here's an idea and here's a people group, and you don't have any feelings or thoughts about them. Now think about them. Now think about them from their point of view. Understand what they feel. And it sort of gets around your defenses, um, which I think stories in general get around our defenses. Uh, they, they, they get around our, our biases and, and our ideological blinders. And so that's really meaningful to me. I think we, I think we understand our world in, in story. Uh, when, when Abraham Lincoln met, um, oh, oh, the novel is atrocious, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, the novel is atrocious. It's Harry Beecher Stowe. Um, it's a really bad novel, and and people now read it and, and say, okay, you know, it's 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 racist itself. But the point of it, it at the time when, when when people read it, was like, look at how awful slavery is. Look at how dehumanizing this is for everyone. And Abraham Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe, and, and he said, oh, let me let me meet the, you know the woman who who started a war. You know, like like she helped motivate she helped motivate the North. The peoples of the north against slavery to say this is an evil you guys and and she did that with a story and it wasn't even well told but 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 it was humanizing um and of course it's got its own problems so 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 i, th I think stories are profound in that they get around our defenses i think we understand our lives in stories uh we tell our own life story 
uh, we, we boil things down, you know, hey, dad, tell me about how you met mom. You know, tell me the story of when you met mom. Um, <clears throat> so, so I think there's, there's a profound uh, meaning making purpose that stories have. Um, and, and, and that's important to me. Uh, very few people, like there are some people who understand that their lives philosophically and they'll, they'll look for, um, you know, does this set of philosophical beliefs match what I believe to be true? And then they'll build from there. But that's very, very few people. Um, I think most people are like, does this, does this, this story fit how I interact with the world? And if you read somebody who's brilliant, you can kind of get sucked into their, their explanation, their way of, of, of understanding and, and interacting with the world too. Uh, it's, it's, it's why sometimes like, like bad philosophy can, can have a big impact, uh, through good fiction. Uh, I, I think John Paul Sartre, uh, is, is sort of not the greatest philosopher or, or he doesn't have a great, um, <clears throat> reputation as a philosopher. Uh, but his, uh, he's a great dramatist. So, so you read, uh, we close, uh, no exit. It's, it's this story of three people stuck in hell and they're just, there's, there's no burning there. There, there's, there's no tortures. It's just each other. And it's like, they're just stuck in a room for all of eternity with each other. And, and, and that's his, that's, that's his, uh, yeah, his, his existentialist critique or, or, or putting, putting forth his vision is through story. And it's really impact. It, you know, it's got a lot of, it's impactful is such an ugly word, but, but it has a deep impact because it's through a story. Even if people are like, yeah, his philosophy is actually, or philosophers say his philosophy is fairly sloppy. Um, so, so, so I, I, I saw your, I saw your, uh, that you're going to ask about this and, and I, have, like the I'm going to the the former question now. Um, why do people write? I, I feel like I ran into the best explanation of this <clears throat> ever. Um, not not from myself, which I, I wish I could take credit for it, but but from uh, George Orwell wrote wrote an, an essay on it, um, <clears throat> and and I think he he sort of said it be better than I ever could, and and I I I can't remember what the essay was called. But, but, but I remember he, he thought people wrote for, for about four reasons. Um, and the first one was sheer egoism. <laughs> so <laughs> desire to seem clever or be talked about. Um, so, so like that's always a piece, right? Like, it's, it, it's like that goes back to Poe. publish something. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Right. Like, hey, guys, I'm really special. Can't you see it? Like, like, listen to me. Like, like who stands up and says, I want a hundred thousand people, or I want a million people to spend their time listening to words that I put down and I want them to pay me for it. It's like, <laughs> wow, you must think you're something pretty damn special. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I think, so, uh, the, the, the second one he says is, is aesthetic enthusiasm. So which, which is, which is perception of beauty in the, the external world or in, or in words, just seeing how words come together and and the beauty uh, that can be made uh, through fiction, which which I think is, is totally up there. I, uh, historical impulse is the third, which he, he sort of says is like the desire to see things as they are, uh, to find out true facts and store them up to, to help other people. So, so like that, I think, um, kind of bleeds into his last one, which which he calls political purpose, using political in the in the widest sense possible so political or moral or, or 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 ethical purposes you know trying to push the world in a way 
uh, that you think the world ought to go. Uh, you know, obviously George Orwell, he's, he's got a political purposes in his. Like, so for, for me, stories, like, they help me, like, writing for all of us helps us make sense of what we think, right? Like, when, when we write a paper, it's like, I don't know what I think about it until I write it down. So, so I'll, I'll give my characters, like, who have very different outlooks on the world, I'll give them their best chance to make an argument for, for why they feel that way. Oh, you think, you think the world is purposeless and meaningless? And when, when we take a life, we take nothing of worth? You know, it's, it's like, that's how Durzo Blint sees thing. And he makes a pretty compelling case. Um, so, 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 so it's like, I can think that out. I, I, I can test those ideas against each other and give them voice. And, and I think that's interesting. And then I think, uh, and, and compelling, fun for me to do. Uh, and meaningful for me to do, and then and then the last is is that um, that that political purpose, um, broad, broadly spoken, is like I, it, my books can can go out there and they can give other people comfort in in being in the world, right? Like like I was that kid who was alone until I read you know this weirdo Edgar Allan Poe. It's like, can my books be a comfort to other people? Can other people feel seen? By reading these books, can they experience something that they never expected to experience? Um, you know, can they be can they be changed? Uh, and and I mean, from from fan mail that I've gotten, that that does happen. It doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't happen with every reader. Not not everybody's ready for that, or you're not the right messenger for for each reader. But you know, I I, I, I get things from people who are like, this got me through a really tough time in my life, and they and then they tell me how, or this changed how I think about things. This changed how I interact with my father, or 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 whatever. Like like there. So for me, there is a there is a meaning part to it, which is which is pretty awesome. Uh, it's 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 very uh, uh, that you can give hope to people, that you can give them connection, that you can make them feel seen, that you can that you can be a help, you can be a light to others is wonderful for me. And what are you working on now? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on uh, the next book in, in this series, which I, uh, is, again, going to be pretty different than, than this one, than Night Angel Nemesis. So, so I'm fitting all of these into what I'm calling the, the Kakari Codex. Um, and, and so that's the overarching thing of, of probably 10 books. So Night Angel Trilogy being one to three, but self-contained in that. Uh, and then we've got the Kyler Chronicles are the next few um and and i'm i'm uh right now I'm, I'm doing a lot of research i'm i'm trying out some uh some ideas to see if i can pull it off so so when, when people read night angel nemesis they'll see that um that i i took some risks there as a storyteller i i i tried i tried some things that are a little harder and um, and I'm going to do that again with this next book. Well, well, I'm I'm, I'm going to talk to my agent about it and say, so I've got this crazy idea. <laughs> so do you think this is stupid or is this going to be brilliant? And um, and so so p part of that is I'm doing a lot of research into uh, into medieval illuminated manuscripts. So how's how's that for nerdy? <laughs> um, so, so so this this hooks into why fantasy is so awesome. It's like Anything that I think is awesome and intriguing, I can use in my books if I make it awesome and intriguing to you. So, so right now I'm on this I'm on this kick about about people who about the people who wrote medieval illuminated manuscripts 
and like what did they think they were doing what did they think they were accomplishing by you know copying things but not just copying them but by making them beautiful by by putting something beautiful in the world as they're copying and and what did they think that how did they feel that text related to the world and to bringing meaning um so so i'm i'm thinking i'm going to have you know one character who is involved in that process in in some way but that's still very 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 tentative and i might might be like okay i chased that idea for a while and that was a terrible idea so 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 that's you know no promises but that's that's where i'm starting right now and where can people keep up with what you're up to online oh well th uh thanks yeah uh obviously i've got the the old uh, brentleaks.com i'm i'm on facebook irregularly i um but you know the sort of business things count i do say when i'm gonna have events and stuff uh and then on on twitter also i'm trying to be irregular there uh so sometimes so that's at brent leaks um and and those those are the main places so so through yeah i, I have a newsletter that i um they tell me it has a an incredibly high open rate like people like they can tell when you isn't that creepy they can tell when you open an email yes they can um <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but, but but I think that's because I very rarely send things out, and when I do, I try to make it. I try to make it uh, really interesting for people, and try to give them a, a, an inside inside baseball kind of kind of view. But I, I, I think last year I only sent one uh, newsletter out to my to my subscribers, and then usually it's like a maximum of four a year because I just I just don't want to spam people. People have enough. People have enough email. So, so, so yeah, those are the, those are the main ways. Uh, Twitter and Facebook and, and my website. Well, and they just got more of you on this podcast. So there you go. That's right. That's right. I, and I hope they enjoyed that. So thanks well, for letting me jabber. Man, good, you, you had very nice questions. But uh, I feel like I, I abused your ears there. I went on a little long. Oh, well, that's all right. If the people uh, enjoy listening to you, they'll enjoy you listening to you even longer. That's what I always figured. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much, Brett. Well, thank you so much, Ed. I, I, appreciate, your, I appreciate your time and, and your, uh, your willingness to chat with me. And thanks again to Brent Weeks for that great conversation. And yes, of course, I'm, I'm willing to chat with you, Brent. I'm willing to chat with uh, lots of people, uh, but especially great writers like, like Brent. And uh, that does bring us to the end of this episode of the podcast, The World Shapers. Uh, you can find The World Shapers online at theworldshapers.com. You probably did if you're listening to it, although it could have been on Spotify or any of the many other channels that it's available through. Uh, you can find it on Twitter at The World Shapers and on uh, Facebook at The World Shapers. You can find me online at edwardwillett.com, two T's on Willett. You can find me on Twitter at eWillett. You can find me on Instagram at edwardwillettauthor. And you can find me on Facebook at edward.willett. You can also find me on YouTube at uh, edwardwillett. And on YouTube, although I do not post this podcast or portions of it, I uh, do a regular, almost daily, uh, live-streamed walk around my hometown of Regina. And I kind of just blather on about whatever strikes me as I'm walking. Uh, so it's kind of a vlog, and I do talk about writing and publishing a bit on there. So uh, you might want to check that out. Uh, again, that's at youtube.com slash Edward Willett. Uh, you can find Shadowpaw Press, the publishing company I run that publishes uh, the, among other things, among many other things at this point, the uh, Shapers of Worlds anthologies featuring authors who are guests of this podcast. Uh, I just finished the Kickstarter for Shapers of Worlds 4. I expect there to be a Shapers of Worlds 5. And Brent Weeks, whom I just spoke to, is one of those who will be invited to be part of that. Uh, that'll be 
Uh, next year about this time, hopefully, I will be talking about how that one succeeded as well. There is currently a, uh, a supplementary crowdsourcing campaign for Shapers of Worlds 4 to have the book fully illustrated by Alberta artist Wendy Nordell. And uh, you can find that at a Crowdfunder, without the E in Funder, crowdfundr.com slash Shapers of Worlds 4, numeral 4. So please uh, go over there and, and help out, uh, and uh, you can... As a reward, you can get a copy of the anthology, among many other things. Uh, Shadowpaw Press is at shadowpawpress.com if you want to see everything that it publishes. It is on Twitter at Shadowpaw Press, on Facebook at Shadowpaw Press, and on Instagram at Shadowpaw Press. I think that covers all the important bits. So uh, thanks again once more for listening to this episode of The World Shapers. And I hope you'll come back many times in the future as I continue to talk to science fiction and fantasy writers about how they go about creating the worlds and adventures that we have enjoyed reading so much over the years. That's it for this episode. Bye for now. being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details